Hello and welcome to another episode of Bear Books Podcast. I'm April Berry. And I'm Daisy Ray. Happy New Year, everybody. We're now into 2024. Happy New Year from me too. I hope everybody had the best Christmas they could have. Who has made any New Year resolutions? What are you not keeping this year? I've made a few, but I, I doubt I'll be keeping them. So what sort of Christmas did you have anyway? Well... I had some lovely time with the kids. My daughter wasn't very well, so I didn't get very many cuddles from that side of things. But my younger daughter, I got loads of cuddles and my grandson, I got loads of cuddles. So I've got some catching up to do with the other ones. You do, don't you? Yeah. I had quite a nice Christmas day, actually. Just spent it with friends, drinking, eating and playing games. And I've got a new Christmas toy. What's your new toy? Can you hear it? Oh, shit. What is that? All I got there was bullshit. Yes, that's my new toy. Bullshit alert. <laughs> bullshit alert. <laughs> Have you had any days where you haven't pressed it? Let me say I've resisted the urge when I've been at work. People have only just gone back to work, so maybe the bullshit can wait a little while until everyone's settled back into this year's workload. Right, let's talk to you about what we are bringing you on this fabulous first episode of 2024. So we had a bit of a skip this season because of unfortunate family circumstances and we missed a flash fiction episode. So what we're bringing you today is a mixture of two. So a bit of a bumper episode. I'd just like to thank before we get into that, everybody that sent in stories for Christmas like Daisy's just said, because of unfortunate circumstances, we weren't able to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to put them all together and give you a bumper Christmas 2024 episode with the stories we got for Christmas 2023 and the stories that we're going to be getting for Christmas 2024. And they'll all go out then. Fantastic. So we've now got next year's Christmas so early submitted, it's unreal. Forward planning. Yeah, whatever. Accidental forward planning, maybe. (laughs) So we've got five magnificent stories for you on this episode, kicking off with one written by George Thompson. Thank you very much for sending this one in for us. And this was for the writing prompt he made a poor job of. We've then got one coming up from Daisy, narrated and written by her, called The Ballerina. And that is one of my favourite stories. It's just so sweet. Wait till you hear it. (laughs) Then we are switching to the Unseen Neighbour writing prompt and we have a story from Sue Hayward, read by April. And then Daisy gets a twisted mind back out again to give us Beware the Shadows. And April has written one and will narrate it for us called Margarita Time. Get your cup of coffee, put your feet back. Put your feet back? Where have they been? Put what? Put back. <laughs> what are you putting them back to? <laughs> All right, then, OK. Look, it's it's Christmas, New Year, OK? It's the next, any excuse. You want the alcohol already, still? No, 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 I've, no. Right, put your feet up. <laughs> Get your cuppa. No falling asleep, though, mind. And here we go. We've got five stories back to back for you. Love a bit of story time. So first up then, as promised, we've got this wonderful story by George Thompson, narrated by April. Have you ever been so disillusioned with your life that you start daydreaming about being someone else entirely? 
well, Remy has, and he got so carried away with his daydream that he took it a step further and tried very hard to make his daydream a reality. So Remy was a skippy little rabbit that lived with his mum and dad and 34 brothers and sisters at the bottom of Farmer John's field, and he harboured an unusual dream. Unlike the rest of his swift and agile family, Remy yearned to be a tortoise. He thought living his life at a slow and steady pace would give him time to ponder the great questions of his young life. Like why he always came last in all the races on family fun days, or why he always had to share everything with so many other rabbits that he ended up wanting a little bit more. The idea of a life where rushing was a foreign concept appealed to him, and he was determined to make his dream a reality. One sunny morning, Remy approached the wise old tortoise, Timothy, who had been living on the farm for as long as anyone could remember. I want to be like you, Remy declared, puffing out his chest. Timothy, with a knowing smile that he tried really hard not to show, agreed to mentor the ambitious young rabbit. He began by trying to teach Remy the art of patience and the importance of taking one's time. However, as hard as Remy tried, being a creature of boundless energy, he found it a real challenge to resist the urge to dash around. The first test came when Timothy and Remy embarked on a race against time. The course wound all the way round Farmer John's biggest field, and Remy was confident in his newfound tortoise-like approach. However, as soon as the race began, Remy couldn't resist the thrill of speed. He zipped past Timothy, leaving a trail of dust in his wake. Remy may have been a bit on the slow side as a rabbit, but he was a turbocharged tortoise. Timothy, true to his nature, continued at a leisurely pace, unfazed by Remy's impulsive sprint. When Remy reached the finish line, panting and exhausted, he was shocked to find Timothy already there, peacefully munching away on a cabbage leaf. A little confused but undeterred, Remy begged for another chance. Timothy agreed, hoping Remy would grasp the essence of being a tortoise. This time the race was longer, winding up around the farmhouse, past the cowshed and around the duck pond. Remy promised himself he would stay true to his tortoise transformation. Yet, as the race progressed, Remy's resolve waned. He just couldn't help himself. He couldn't resist the allure of naughty shortcuts and cheeky detours. Instead of following the steady path, he hopped and skipped, convinced he could outsmart the tortoise way. When Remy finally stumbled upon the finish line, Timothy was there ahead of him again, patiently waiting with a little smile on his face. Remy was flabbergasted, totally out of breath and utterly defeated. He had failed miserably at being a tortoise. Timothy, still smiling, spoke kindly to Remy. Being a tortoise isn't about winning races or rushing to the finish line. It's about savouring the journey, enjoying the scenery and embracing the slow and steady rhythm of life. Remy, humbled and maybe a little wiser, realised there was a truth in Timothy's words. And from that day forward, he stopped dreaming of being a tortoise. Instead, he learnt to appreciate the unique qualities that made him exactly who he was. All that boundless energy and enthusiasm he had made him a perfect rabbit. 
and although he never became a tortoise, Remy discovered that being himself was the greatest adventure of all, until he watched the ducks quacking on the pond and then soar into the sky. Wow, he'd love to be a duck. <laughs> anyway, swiftly moving on, we've got another cute story coming up, The Ballerina by Daisy. A long time ago, in a village little visited, there lived an elephant named Margaret. Now, Margaret was not your typical pachyderm. Instead of dreaming about a life under the big top, she harboured a secret desire that set her apart from her fellow elephants. She longed to pirouette and plie under the spotlight as a graceful ballerina. It all began when Margaret was just a slip of an elephant and stumbled upon a dusty old ballet book long forgotten in the corner of the circus tent. As she turned the pages, her heart swelled at the sight of the beautiful pictures depicting the enchanting world of ballet. She imagined herself in a fluffy white tutu and point shoes twirling with grace and finesse rather than lumbering around in circles like the traditional circus elephant she was destined to be. In an attempt to pursue her newfound passion, Margaret decided to slip a few ballet moves into her circus routine. The first time she tried a grand jeté, the audience gasped in surprise and then fell about laughing at the wonderful funny circus elephant. The circus master, however, wasn't as impressed and reminded her that circus elephants were supposed to trumpet, not twirl. It's not easy to give up on your dreams, so Margaret continued to sneak in ballet moves whenever she could. Her clumsy arabesques and awkward plies had the audience scratching their heads in confusion, though. They couldn't decide if they were meant to be witnessing a majestic performance or an elephant attempting to imitate a flamingo. Despite her persistent efforts to shine as a ballerina, Margaret's true calling was still only evident to herself. One day, whilst on cleaning up duty after the audience had gone home, she came across a crumpled up poster for the Grand Whimsyville Ballet Competition. It was just the opportunity she'd been waiting for to prove to herself and everyone that an elephant could gracefully leap into the world of ballet. Scared silly, but determined, Margaret signed up for the competition. She practised tirelessly every spare minute she could. She was still clumsy knocking over props and accidentally stepping on her own tutu more times than she could count. Still, she wouldn't give up, fueled by the dream of pirouetting into ballet stardom. The day of the competition arrived and the atmosphere was electric with anticipation. Margaret decked out in a new sparkly blue tutu with a hundred tiny blue forget-me-nots lining her ears, nervously waited backstage. As the curtain lifted, she wobbled onto the stage. The audience stopped breathing for a moment, unsure of what to expect. To everyone's surprise, Margaret's performance was a quirky blend of elegance and elephantine charm. Her grand jetés became grand jumbos and her arabesques resembled a whimsical elephant reaching for their stars. The audience erupted into laughter and applause, charmed by Margaret's unique interpretation of ballet. 
The judges, initially sceptical, found themselves enchanted by the sheer joy radiating from the clumsy young elephant. Against all odds, Margaret's unconventional ballet routine won the hearts of everyone watching her, audience and judges. She was declared the Grand Whimsyville Ballet Champion. Margaret's victory marked the beginning of a new era. The circus master, recognising her true passion, decided to reinvent the whole show as the Circus of Quirky Talents. Margaret, of course, was the star attraction, and people travelled for hundreds of miles to see the wonderful young performer with her love for ballet and her innate elephant charm. And so, every night, from then on, under the twinkling circus lights, Margaret twirled and danced in her sparkly blue tutu, proving that sometimes the most unexpected dreams can lead to the biggest adventures. I could just imagine going to the circus and seeing Margaret in a blue tutu with a little blue forget-me-nots all in her ears. That's so Aww. cute. Yeah, perfect. So we're switching to the writing prompt Unseen Neighbour now. And April is going to read you a story written by Sue Hayward. I lived in a nice, quiet cul-de-sac where we all knew our neighbours and we all looked out for each other. Apart from the old man that lived in the bungalow, we all knew that he had lost his wife a few years ago and he now kept himself to himself. The rest of our neighbours knew that it was all right because we would see him potter around in his garden. Each passing week was the same, take the kids to school, do the shopping, take out the rubbish, and if remembered, bring the dustbin back into the yard, then do the mundane cleaning. After a period of a few weeks, I noticed that the old man would make an appearance and bring mine and our neighbours' bins back to our respective gardens. Sometimes we were greeted with an occasional nod or grunt, but at least it was better than nothing. Within a year, we would have the old man doing odd jobs around the cul-de-sac, whether it be doing a spot of gardening or taking our neighbour's dog out for a walk. At least he was now starting to meet and greet people. The neighbours and I took it upon ourselves to get the old man to come round for either a cup of tea or a bite to eat. That way, we knew that he was all right. And in return, he started to do good turns for the neighbours and me, either taking in parcels or brushing the leaves from our paths. Over the months, though, the novelty wore off with the rest of the neighbours, but not with me. I would still check on him and help him with the occasional job if I thought he struggled. Until one day, I just didn't see him. As time went by, I started to miss his cheery wave or his A-up. The other neighbours said that they thought he'd gone to see family, but I never heard him speak of any, so I got a little worried. Admittedly, over the weeks, life carried on and I started to forget about our unseen neighbour. Christmas came and went, followed very shortly by spring. One day I came home from work and noticed a smell that seemed to linger in the air. I don't know what it was, but it smelt rancid. The rest of the neighbours started to complain, and I couldn't blame them. Someone had called the gas company thinking it could have been gas, but I had a strange feeling. The day the gas company came out was when things changed around our little cul-de-sac. That's not gas, said the man as he walked up and down the road. I think you should inform the police. And he got into his van and drove off. 
I took it upon myself to phone the police, and because it wasn't an emergency, they seemed to take an age to come out to investigate. The first I knew that the police had arrived was when I saw the police tape around his bungalow and a scurry of activity. I went out to do a bit of investigating for myself and was told that the neighbour had been found dead within his property and someone would come round and talk to me in due course. I went back inside and cried. I should have checked on him, I sobbed. The kids came back from school and thought it was all highly exciting to see all the hive of activity until they realised how upset I was and disappeared into their bedrooms. In due course, the police came round to my house and asked me a lot of questions. When had I last seen my neighbour? I'm not sure, I replied. Didn't you deem it necessary to check on him because he lived on his own? I thought he was okay, I said. The policeman stood up, shook his head and left. He seemed clearly disappointed in me. A few weeks later, I read in the paper that the old man who had been found in his bungalow had died some time ago. His living room was still decorated with Christmas trimmings and he was found still sitting in his chair wearing a Christmas cracker paper hat. The verdict was a stroke. I learned a valuable lesson that day to check on any vulnerable elderly people to make sure that they're okay. A cheery wave or an hello will brighten up anyone's day, whether they be young or old. That story from Sue has got a bit of a moral to it, I have got to say. And especially at this time of year when it's, you know, long nights, dark times, cold weather. It doesn't take a second just to go and check on your neighbour. And he died at Christmas. I know. With his hat on and everything. Oh, God, I bet it was putrid in the summer. Okay, moving on then. Now we've got Beware of the Shadows. Back to Daisy's Twisted Mind. In a little-known neighbourhood that was so ordinary, it could be the very one you live in, there was a mysterious neighbour that lived at number 11 Primrose Avenue. No one really knew a thing about him. People started talking during the annual summer fair, rumours about weird sounds and shadows in number 11. Edna was a retired teacher who loved to garden. But more than that, she couldn't resist intrigue. She'd be out with her roses, side-eyeing next door like it held the neighbourhood's juiciest secrets. She started chatting to the rest of the neighbours and everyone had their own version of the unseen neighbour's tale. Some said it was all nonsense, just folks being spooked over nothing. Others swore they'd seen shadows or heard things that go bump in the night. Edna, though, she wasn't giving up. She even went to the town's history buff, Mr Thompson, who spun tales about generations of reclusive folks that had lived in that house. It was like a spooky family tradition, he said, passing down the art of staying hidden. No one knew why they needed to be hidden or what might happen if they stopped. Undeterred, Edna got creative. She started leaving friendly notes and goodies on the unseen neighbour's doorstep, playing the let's be friends card. Days turned into weeks, but nothing. Then out of the blue, she got a letter on her doorstep. Handwritten and cryptic, it spilled the beans on a life of intentional solitude, a love affair with quiet contemplation. 
Edna and the unseen neighbour started this pen pal thing. They shared stories and thoughts and soon the rest of the neighbourhood caught wind. Suddenly the elusive resident wasn't so unseen anymore. The neighbours embraced them and what was once a neighbourhood of whispers became a cosy community. But not for long. There was something off, a growing sense of unease. The more everyone connected, the more this weird vibe lingered. It was like the unseen neighbour brought an awkward energy to the block, and it wasn't just from hanging out in the shadows. As Edna and the neighbour continued to swap stories, their tentative friendship blossomed. But underneath that friendly surface, there was an unsettling undercurrent. The unseen neighbour, instead of bringing people together, added this strange tension to the mix. Shadows that used to stick to houses started creeping into people's hearts, sowing doubt and mistrust. In the end, that mysterious neighbour wasn't just a recluse with a thing for solitude. They turned out to be a malevolent dark force, casting a weird spell on the once happy neighbourhood. The tale of the unseen neighbour became less about friendship and more about the creepy stuff that can lurk in the ordinary, turning a cosy street into a scene straight out of a strange and unsettling story. If you are out in your garden tomorrow and the sun is shining, but you still see dark shadows lurking around your neighbour's windows and you haven't met them yet, maybe you should go back inside, make a cup of tea and mind your own business. And rounding off story time for today, we have this story written and narrated by April Berry. It's called Margarita Time. The cities of Nottingham and Derby are surrounded by small villages. Unremarkable in their existence, they have, however, made an amazing contribution to the advancement of science, stage, sports, etc. On the flip side, they did give us Harold Shipman. One of these small villages was home to Edgar Thornfield, a recluse no one had ever seen. Edgar lived at the end of Brentwood Drive. The house was quite large, positioned at the end of the cul-de-sac. It was an old Victorian house built in the 1800s. Everyone assumed Edgar valued his privacy because the curtains were always closed. All anyone could ever see was a warm glow through the gaps in the curtains when it was dark and he switched the lights on. Edgar had all his groceries delivered to the house. He wasn't fussy when it came to supermarkets. Tesco, Asda, Ocado, and the occasional Morrison's delivery via Amazon. Uber Eats were regular visitors to the house, as was Argos, Amazon, and unknown white vans with nondescript brown boxes. The houses around were newer, mushrooming up after the Second World War, added to in the 60s and latterly in the 90s. One of these houses was home to Lucy Miller, single mum, though not by choice, she begged Brian to come back every weekend when he picked up the kids on a Saturday morning, even when he brought his girlfriend with him, who by the looks of her was about to make him a father for the fourth time. When Lucy was alone and not wallowing in self-pity, she spent much of her time trying to discover what was going on at Edgar's. She was actually renowned for being the village gossip and fed into people's speculation of Edgar. 
Was he a retired spy? Was he a serial killer? Did he even exist? Were just some of the speculations that permeated the schoolgate conversations. Lucy was always being questioned, given that she lived the closest to Edgar of all the parents. The only reason anyone knew his name was because of Keith, the local postman, who was married to Mandy, one of Lucy's friends. One particular Saturday, after an emotional, traumatic handover of the children, Lucy was looking for a distraction from the daydreams in her head. She waited until darkness fell on the village, grabbed her phone, pulled on her hiking boots and the darkest coat she could find, and made her way to the gates of Edgar's abode. She could see the chink of lights through the old curtains where they didn't quite meet. She peered into what turned out later to be the living room of Edgar's house. Making her way round to the rear of the house, Lucy was careful not to make any noise. As she got to the back of the side of the house, she noticed that there was a shed in the back garden. The light from this illuminated the garden, which to Lucy's amazement was magical. There were fairy lights dangling from the trees, lanterns lighting up the paths, and in the shed, as large as life, stood Edgar, or so Lucy assumed was Edgar. She recognised him and allowed herself the luxury of letting out a sigh of relief. She recognised Edgar from the library. Many a time when she had taken the boys in there in an attempt to get them interested in something else other than Minecraft, she had seen what now turned out to be Edgar perusing the books in the science section. Lucy, startled, realised that Edgar was coming out of the shed towards her, calling her name. It's really nice to see you again, Lucy. I've often seen you in the library. How do you fancy a drink, tea, coffee or something stronger? Detective Sergeant Wilson was sat at his desk, rubbing his hands through his hair, desperate for the words on the page to leap out at him and answer all his questions. It had been six months since Lucy Miller had gone missing, and they were no closer to finding the answers than they were on that Sunday night when Brian had rung the police when Lucy wasn't at home when he returned the kids. Meanwhile, Lucy was sipping her margarita by the Sea of Tranquility, oblivious to the furore going on back home. I have really enjoyed story time today. I think it's been entertaining, relaxing, and I can come back and listen to these whenever I've got five minutes and I want a little bit of cheering up. So tell everybody what we've got coming up next week, April. Right, well, we've got an interview with John Savage or J.S. Savage, uh, as he's credited on his book. The book is called The Mystery of Treefall Manor. Mm. That's a sort of Agatha Christie-esque title, don't you think? It is a little bit, yeah. I'm not going to give away any spoilers, apart from the fact that I am actually looking forward to the interview. The uh, The book cover is a little sort of 1920s type style. It's an impossible murder. Well, we like an impossible murder. I'm looking forward to this interview then. Yeah, I am too. Um, looking forward to find, finding out who done it as well when I get to the end of the book. <laughs> I haven't finished it either, you know. <laughs> Exciting times. Yes, yeah. So definitely looking forward to next week and meeting John Savage and bringing you that conversation. So until next time. Take care of each other. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter? 
And if you want to send in your flash fiction submissions, you just need to email us at beerbookspod1 at gmail.com. And now that you're part of the Beer Books family, why not share us with all the bookworms and creatives in your life? <laughs>